Hello, and welcome to the first, and potentially not the last, podcast in which I look at the discography of artists and rank them worst to best. Um, I decided to do this purely out of lockdown boredom as a bit of a project, and to flaunt my inner music nerd at you. Um, The first band I'm going to look at is one of my all-time favourites, Talking Heads. Um, They have eight studio albums from the late 70s right up to the late 80s. Um, They also have two live albums, which I'll talk about briefly, but won't include within the rankings of of the eight, simply because these albums don't feature any or much Talking Heads, uh, sorry, original Talking Heads material. Um, So the advantage of this discography is it's quite short. Um, I'm planning to do rankings for some other artists, um, like Bob Dylan, but they have much vaster uh, discographies. (laughs) So this one's quite quite a nice one to start with. Um, So yeah, but I have to kind of be familiar enough with all the albums to talk about them convincingly and kind of judge them all even-handedly, so I have to kind of know the discography very well too. Um, Talking Heads discography is quite easy to get through, the albums are generally really fun and inventive, fairly short too, that helps. Um, and some records like Remain in Light are quite challenging to listen to in places, others like their debut album 77 are incredibly accessible, so there's quite a range there. Um, anyway, without further ado, I'll get on with the uh, with the rankings. At number eight is True Stories from 1986. Uh, this is the band's penultimate album which accompanies a David Byrne-directed film, David Byrne being the lead singer of the band. Um, I have to admit, I've never watched the film. By all accounts, it's quite typically quirky, but not especially essential. So perhaps I'm missing something when I'm listening to this record, simply because I'm not familiar with with this film that accompanies it. Um, The most famous track from the record is Wild Wild Life, which is kind of a bouncy bubblegum pop tune um it's passable as a track but it's it's a bit basic the same could be said of the opening track love for sale which has its charms but all in all is a bit inessential and those are my favorite two tracks of the record which (laughs) is a bit forgettable on the whole um radioheads name themselves after the track radiohead which is bizarre when you listen to it because it's a real nothing track um this album's just kind of average really it's got 80s production which really doesn't help um but the real problem is a lack of great songwriting and lack of great performances it kind of feels like a david Byrne solo record in all but name it's back of the pile i'm afraid okay number seven is the band's final album, Naked, released in 1988, which is a slight improvement upon True Stories. It kind of returns to the world music vibes um, of Remain in Light, um, but is generally a lot more accessible and commercial sounding. It's got very slick 80s production, which is quite off-putting considering the band's kind of punk new wave origins. I'm using the word punk there quite loosely, and I'll get onto that. Um... I quite like the opening track, Blind. It's quite a grower, it's quite fun. The demo, the, yeah, the Democratic Circus, that's quite a, an intriguing track. But largely it's quite an inessential and uninspired collection of tracks. The exception is Nothing But Flowers, which has Kirsty McCall on backing vocals and Johnny Marr 
formerly of the Smiths. Um, he contributes some lovely kind of ringing guitar notes on it. And it's a lovely kind of breezy track, um, which is in, in many ways very different from their earlier work. Um, it's an interesting song lyrically as well. It kind of imagines a society where we're no longer reliant on consumerism and no longer reliant on uh, material things. Uh, <laughs> um, but it kind of imagines it, this world not being idyllic, but it kind of feels like it's going to miss out on all these material comforts. So it's an interesting angle. Um, yeah, so it's one of their best late period tracks, but, and yeah, there's not much on this album otherwise. Um, so for that track alone, Naked is a superior album to True Stories. Okay, number six, Little Creatures from 1988. No, 1985, got that wrong. Um, so if True Stories and Naked are a bit average, I'd say this album is a good, solid album. It abandons the kind of funky, worldly sound of, of their kind of early 80s period and is a poppier, lighter affair generally. It's kind of most similar to the band's debut album in that the production is very direct. The songwriting is prioritised over the rhythm. Um, the opening track, And She Was, um, is very catchy. Road to Nowhere, similarly. Um, the track, Television Man, is one of my favourites. It kind of builds up really well. It's a little cheesy and 80s sounding, but it kind of embraces it well. Um, there's also a slight country influence on this record, which is unusual. And there's a few slower tracks that can't quite be called ballads. I don't think the band ever did ballads per se, but um, yeah, it's it's a different kind of feel, this album. Um, but yeah, compared to the band's first five records, it's not especially creative. And Tina Weymouth and Chris France, who were the rhythm section, um, the bassist and, and drummer, respectively, uh, who later went on to marry, or maybe were married at this point, I forget. Um, yeah, their rhythm section is never really unleashed on this record. They're just kind of there. Um, but it is a charming record. It doesn't really apologise for its lightness of touch, and that gives it a unique character. I'd maybe recommend getting into it after listening to the first five records. Um, I think you'd probably find it more charming. But yeah, it's not really representative of the of the band's output. If you can hear some beeping distantly in the background, that's just the dishwasher going off. Ignore that. Um, at number five is their debut record, 77, released in 1977, sometimes known as Talking Heads 77. Um, this album, most famously, has Psycho Killer on it, one of their most recognisable and loved tracks, and it's one of the best tracks on the record. Um, has a has a great ending, that one. Um no, Compa no Compassion is a great song as well. Has some fantastic slide guitar work. And the book I read is, is superb too. Really underrated. Has some of David, Bur David Byrne's best yelping vocal work. And it has a really nice organ and piano, which really soars on it. Um, the chord changes are really interesting. You've got Uh Oh, Love Comes to Town, um, which is kind of driven by marimba and has a bass line that is reminiscent of a kind of swinging classic Motown track um, and the structure of the song is really quite inventive too um, a few of the tracks on this album are a little slight a little twee um, which kind of belies the idea that Talking Heads were ever this kind of punk band even though they were from you know the C CBGB's uh, punk scene in, in mid 70s New York 
Um, but yeah, this record doesn't generally have that much bite to it other than Psycho Killer and the last track pulled up. It's it's got quite a poppy affair, I would say. Um, probably more accurate to, to kind of describe it as a new wave record. I mean, what punk album has a marimba on it? Um, the production is a little flat in places too. It was produced by Tony Bon Jovi. That's John Bon Jovi's cousin. Um, I don't know if that explains it. Um, nevertheless, it's a strong record. Perhaps not quite a classic, but well worth checking out. Number four, we have more songs about buildings and food. From 1978, this is the band's second album. Um, it's their first with the legend that is Brian Eno as producer. And consequently, the production is a lot more arty, atmospheric and tense um, than Tony Bon Jovi's work. Um, stylistically, I wouldn't say this is a major departure from the first record. It's just, yeah, sonically, it's a lot more mature. And there's a lot more kind of ghostly synth lines going on in the background and eerie moments kind of creeping into the to the band's signature sound. And some per, some people unfairly malign this album as repeating the first. I don't really get that, to be honest. I think the album's title is a bit of a misnomer. Um, because I, I do think that the band do expand on the first album's blueprint. It's a lot funkier, danceable, it's heavier in places. Um, tracks like With Our Love, Found a Job, and I'm Not In Love have some fantastic rhythm guitar playing. And Tina Weymouth and Chris France really step up their game as a as a rhythm section. Take Me To The River is a fantastic cover of Al Green's soul track. Um, it's much better and more dynamic than the original. And the closing track, The Big Country, has some of David Byrne's best lyrics. He's kind of contrasting the life of a jet-setting rock star going coast to coast with the so-called, you know, little people in small-town America. And depending on your reading of the track, it either comes across as sneering or really empathetic of, of these relatively more humble um, people. Um, so, yeah, this album is really well-paced. It's full of ideas, full of great, tight rhythms. It's really an excellent underrated record, and I might have placed it higher in the past. But the next three, you know, we're kind of getting into real classic territory now. At number three, we've got Speaking in Tongues from 1983. Um, yeah, once upon a time, I wouldn't have ranked this album as highly. But I think since owning it on vinyl, I've really come to appreciate its textures and intricacies more. Um, I think I may have been dismissive about it as well because it hasn't got Brian Eno on it. But I don't actually think it's that much less arty or experimental. It is, however, a lot more joyful, a lot less paranoid sounding than, say, Fear of Music and Remain in Light. Spoiler alert, they're the next two. Um, it's very exuberant, it's upbeat pretty much all the way through. Um, so yeah, you've got great tracks throughout. It's much more dance floor orientated. Um, especially on tracks like Making Flippy Floppy, great title. Um, and you've got Girlfriend Is Better Too. You've got Swamp, um, which is a really bluesy track, which on paper sounds like a real departure, but still, it still kind of works well within the context of the album. You've got um, The Opener Burning Down the House, which of course is one of the band's best known tracks and it is a classic. 
and it has tracks on it like Pull Up The Roots and Slippery People, which are real growers. And this is the last album when the band really gel as a unit. On subsequent albums, as I've already mentioned, they sound more like David Byrne and The Talking Heads, you know. They're more of a backing band. Um, so I think the reason I've placed this album above more songs about buildings and food is is the last track on Speaking in Tongues, which is um, <clears throat> This Must Be The Place, Naive Melody. Um I mean, it's such a lovely, bittersweet song about missing home. It has one of David Byrne's most heartfelt vocal performances. It's quite a straight-sounding song, other than kind of the twitchy guitar and cooing synth noises, which on paper should be pretty twee, but it works really to great effect to kind of build up this sense of bittersweetness. Um, so definitely among their great tracks. Um, but yeah, in comparison, more songs about building with food doesn't really have that kind of standout track, like... This must be the place. At number two is Remain in Light. Um, so there wasn't really much in it when deciding third and fourth place, and there is, isn't much in it between their two best records, in my opinion. I tend to change my mind between which of these two records is the band's best, and the critical consensus among the musos is that the band's fourth album, Remain in Light, is their best. Perhaps, controversially, I don't agree. Um, it is definitely their most innovative album, arguably their greatest artistic achievement. Um, it kind of has a fusion of funk, Afrobeat, world music, uses tape, tape loops really inventively, has um, call and response vocals, which are pretty groundbreaking too. And that's apparent from the opening track, Born Under Punches, which is a tour de force, disorientating, hypnotic, repetitive but not boring um it's one of their masterpieces that's followed up by cross-eyed and painless which incorporates a bit of early rap influence in is is as funky as hell you've got the great curve um closing the first side which is superb it's the track most obviously indebted to fella cootie in the afrobeat scene and it features some wild guitar playing from adrian bellew who I believe, went on to join King Crimson, the prog band. Um, the Great Curve has some excellent syncopated rhythms and call and response back in vocals. Um, Once in a Lifetime, Up There With Psycho Killer is their most well-known track. And for me, it's, it's one of their masterpieces. It's still fascinating to listen to after repeated listens. I never get bored of it. When the Velvet Underground-inspired organ comes in towards the end of the track... That's got to be one of my all-time favourite bits of music. Um, so yeah, the first four tracks on the record are peerless. How's it in motion? The next track is a little more slinky, rhythm-wise. John Hassel plays um, what I can only describe as some quite feral trumpet work. It's another great tune. And then I feel a little harsh on the back end of the record, as it's still very good and inventive. But it just doesn't keep up with the, the amazing consistency of the first half and loses its excitement. You've got Seen But Not Seen, which is a good track. Um, David Byrne gives a spoken, spoken word performance on that one. The drum track is particularly cool. The next track, Listening Wind, is an, is an Arabic-sounding song. And I, think, I believe it's written from the perspective of a terrorist, so it's quite a haunting track. Finally, there's the overload, which the band wrote trying to imitate the sound of, of the band Joy Division. 
um, despite never having listened to the band's music before. Um, but instead of evoking the majesty of a track like Atmosphere or something upbeat like Shadow Play, the overload kind of resembles um, the closer from Joy Division's Unknown Pleasures, I Remember Nothing. It's reminiscent of the dour, depressing, monochromatic side of Joy, Div- Joy Division's music, and it really doesn't do either band any justice. It kind of feels like a gimmicky way to end the album to ending things on a real bum note. Um, so it's quite dis- dissatisfying, considering the brilliance shown elsewhere on the record. But overall, I'd still rate Remain in Light as a classic, and perhaps not recommend it to someone not familiar with the band's work as a starting point, because it's quite dense, quite adventurous, um, and in many ways not representative of the band. It doesn't really contain much of the humour found on the other records, but it is extraordinary. It has dated really well. It still sounds fresh and interesting and full of life. Worth listening to in the dark with with headphones on too. Um, so before I reveal number one, as mentioned um, before, Talking Heads released a couple of live albums, the first of which is the name of this band is Talking Heads. Um, the tracks are from different live shows between 1977 and 1981. Um, so if you get into their first four studio records, it's a worthwhile listen as it demonstrates their development from being a four-piece in, in 1977 to having this ridiculously large backing band for the Romanian Lights concerts. Um, it's worth it to hear a clean break, um, which was bizarrely left off the band's first album. It's, it's a proper tune. Um, and there's also some alternative arrangements of the band's tracks, which are pretty interesting to listen to. Um, and then you have Stop Making Sense, which um, is the soundtrack to the film of the same name, um, directed by Jonathan Demme, who later directed The Silence of the Lambs. Um, This came out just after um, Speaking in Tongues in 1984. And to be honest, the album, if you just listen to it as an album, is not as fun without the visuals of the live show, which features David Byrne in his uh, ridiculously oversized suit. Um, So I'd say just watch the film because it's absolutely joyous. Um, I don't think you get quite as much out of the album. Okay, so number one, the big reveal. Um, It's Fear of Music from 1979. And this is the album that got me into the band. It retains the humour and the quirkiness of the band's first two records, but also moves the band towards the paranoid mood of Remain in Light. And again, Brian Eno... And his production work here is exceptional. He brings out the echo and delay and reverb to great effect to create this real claustrophobic sound. And yet the band are still pretty funky and rhythmic and fun on this record. And it's that interplay between the paranoid lyrics and the direct, upbeat, catchy songwriting that hits on what is, for me, a magic formula. Um, And the lyrics and concept behind this album are just brilliant. Um... The concept behind this album, as the title sort of implies, is having phobias of often quite surprising things. Um, A lot of the tracks have one-word song titles. You've got air, cities, heaven, paper, animals, drugs. And from the lyrics, you can tell David Byrne is presenting each of these topics as something to be fearful of. 
So you've got lyrics like, the animals are laughing at us, the air can hurt you too, heaven is a place where nothing ever happens. Um, so you can kind of see the lyrical concepts can either be seen as really, si really silly, tongue-in-cheek, but against the backdrop of the claustrophobic music, they also sound quite scary and thought-provoking. So there's an interesting duality at play. You have the idea of heaven being this tedious place where your favourite song plays on repeat, which makes it sound nightmarish, but also hysterical. Insomnia is described in Memories Can't Wait as a party in my mind and I can never quit to the sound of crunching guitars and startling synths. But then he also sings there's a party in my mind and I hope it never stops, which brings a whole new spin to it. Um, so unlike most concept albums, it doesn't need to present a narrative. I think it just works well because David Byrne is presenting interesting narrative angles. Um, on the album, you've also got Izimbra and Life During Wartime, which are both great dance tunes. Eno is kind of pushing the band towards its eventual Afrobeat obsession, but that doesn't dominate the sound of the album. You're, you've also got uh, the final track, Drugs, which is superb. It sounds like the lyrics, kind of a paranoid narrator experiencing drugs for the first time and documenting the experience in minute detail. It's quite unsettling, but it's also really fun. In fact, the whole record is like that. It's unsettling, put a lot of fun. And that, for me, it encapsulates what's so special about this record. Um, and that's why it, it's got the top spot. Okay, well, thank you for listening. Um, let me know if you agree with these rankings, if you're inspired to check out more of their, more of their albums or to dip your toe into the talking heads pool, as it were. Um, yeah, let me know what you think. I'm going to do more of these. So I hope you, find, you didn't find it too boring. <laughs> um, and see you next time.